I'm your host, State Senator Mike Kazinger, with my co-host, Pastor Brian Leversee, right down here in the studios at Fellowship Baptist Church in Vianna, West Virginia, Wood County. But we're talking to, I don't know how many counties listen to us, Pastor. They're like, uh, I don't know, thousands, right? Well, I mean, when you think about it, we're digital with the podcast, so so really we're worldwide. Yeah, so uh, do they have counties in like India or Europe? Of course they do. Okay, good. <laughs> you know, we got this sh- idea of a sheriff from England. I just read this book. It's kind of eclectic, if that's a word, but it's uh, the uh, history of the common law. Oh, really? So most people hear that, they'll bang their head against the wall. Please don't make <laughs> me read that. Please don't. <laughs> but it's fascinating because our common law, our law, uh, you know, the foundations of our law, a lot of it came from England, you yeah. know, and how they developed the law. In England, and uh, natural law, which, of course, uh, I'm reading this book right now about John Locke. I brought it with me. Uh, when I read a book, I take it with me. It's like mm. a little teddy bear. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. I, I take it with me every day to work. I will not look at it. I won't open it. I won't <laughs> read it, but I take it with me. It's the osmosis approach. You're yeah, hoping I, that just by I it sitting next to you. you. words like that <laughs> that I don't understand. But, yeah, it is like that because uh, you hope. Uh, yeah, but um, so it's, it talks about John Locke and Rousseau and how Rousseau was – uh, responsible for the French Revolution, which was the terror, they called mm-hmm. it, and, and uh, cut all thousands of people's heads off and so on. And the American Revolution, which was a Christian revolution, and the Rousseauian res- revolution was um, anti-natural law. And the American Revolution was based on natural law, based on God's word, natural mm-hmm. law coming from uh, the Bible and nature uh, the nature that uh, cries out that God is uh, the creator and the laws embedded in nature and in our hearts and souls and uh, and the difference and how Rousseau influenced Marx and so hmm. on. But anyway, so we've been gone a couple of weeks. We uh, we were going to have a show last week when when you were out of right. town. Yeah. But uh, uh, Senator Azinger forgot to remind our <laughs> our. Uh, um, I think everybody producer. was just kind of chilling last week yeah, and enjoying like, Thanksgiving. But we had some good stuff on, on uh, Mark Dallar and I were going to come on, and we'll have him on, on another time. He's always good. He's always got great information. But uh, So uh, we, we had some great great history on Thanksgiving, and we're, gonna, we're going to go back to a little bit of that next segment because sure. it's so fascinating, yeah. and I think folks don't know it, and I learned a lot just studying for the hmm. for the segment. That's so great. we'll get to that in a second. But did you have a good Thanksgiving, by the way? I did. Yeah, good time with the family. Yeah, and... my, my wife really nailed that turkey this year. She, oh, she good. In the stuffing was just perfect. <laughs> How about you? It was, it was good. We stayed here. We didn't have any extended family in, so it was just us. But man, we needed that time, and it was it was great. It was great just to spend some downtime with the family. I took the whole week off actually that last yeah, week. Yeah, that's good. And it was wonderful. Yeah. So uh, Thanksgiving's the the. Uh, 
a unique a, a unique celebration, a unique holiday mm. worldwide. I mean, how many countries take uh, take? We take you know Thursday, but you know who works Friday if you, unless you have to. Right, <laughs> it's the whole weekend, and and uh, just a, a day to thank God for for the blessings. Mm-hmm. I mean, just to just to sit around that table and look at the food that most Americans are are able to to have and to eat and to, we just, we don't go hungry in America. No. Very few people do. And we we still as 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 bad as a lot of things are, we uh we just are are greatly mm. blessed in America. We are. We're just uh we have cars to drive, we have clothes to wear. And um, my my brother-in-law was a missionary in Papua New Guinea. Oh wow, wow, really? Yeah, he said this. This is what the the Papua New Guineans would tell him when he was describing America to him and everything, and you know the stuff that we had. And he was describing a house, and he was describing a garage, and they looked at me and said, "You mean you have a house for your car?" (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's that's right. Of course, ours you can't get the car into, but we have. We say uh, it's for our car, but (laughs) yeah. Yeah, exactly. But um, there you go. Great, uh, great con- country we live in, and uh, uh, we, uh, we we've got a, uh, some some big things happening this week. Today's Wednesday. We're re- recording on Wednesday, so you're listening on Thursday or Saturday. Um, podcast at uh, Voice of Truth with Mike Azinger. I forgot to mention that at the beginning. Um, so there's a, a big, big deal going on at the Supreme yeah. Court today. and I didn't realize how big a deal it was. Well, it's, it's just there's not a lot of it in the media. Surprise, surprise. But this is the first time, Pastor Leversey, that uh, the second time since Roe v. Wade in 73 that it could potentially be overturned. Wow. So this is called the Dobbs decision, and uh, there's an article from the Daily Signal. This is a gal from the Heritage Foundation. She's with uh, the DeVos, as in Richard DeVos, as in Betsy mm-hmm. DeVos, the DeVos Center for Religion and Civil Society, and I support both those. Mm. Civil society. Civil That'd be media. nice to have. By the way, uh, I was just saying, you, you know, the, the the Russians when they used to we were talking about the blessings of America. The thing that blew the Russians away back in the fifties and sixties when they would come over, you know, and visit America, and when we took them to the grocery store. Oh, I bet. And yeah. they saw all. Now, not anymore because right, it's, it's the a- shells are buried out. <laughs> but but back then, it was just the the sheer bountifulness of 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 food yeah when they're standing in lines and 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 they got yeah they got nothing and how how uh, anyway what a great nation we have and thank you lord for it the supreme court will hear oral argument arguments in a major abortion case dobbs v jackson women's health organization on wednesday today here's what you need to know about the facts of the case what's at stake and how to think about this consequential moment so i'm not going to read the whole article but let's just do a couple of the first paragraphs here to give um to give the audience just kind of a a basic understanding of what's at stake here because everything i've read the people i've heard uh because of the way this is happening at the lower courts this is an opportunity to overturn roe v wade now that doesn't mean that if it's overturned that okay abortion is uh, illegal it means that the states now control it. 
Yeah. So in West Virginia, probably in Ohio, it would very likely be outlawed. Yeah. A lot of, you know, your, your red states is going to be outlawed because the red states are where life is protected and loved. Yeah. Life is our most basic human fe- freedom, and it should be protected in public policy from the moment of conception, right? Yep, that's it. We believe that every human being has inherent dignity and worth. Our mm-hmm. laws should protect innocent human lives, including those not yet born, and society should support women who face challenging or unplanned hmm. pregnancies. So uh, so we believe that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, you know, and I'm speaking primarily to Christians right now. I know people who who don't have a biblical worldview uh, would still struggle with this understanding, but especially if you're a Christian, you know, we're going through the Christmas narrative in, on Sunday mornings as we're, we're preaching, heading toward Christmas. And, you know, if, if Christians are confused about, well, does life really start at conception? Is, is that really where life begins? Or, you know, is it further along down the line? You know, it's amazing when you look at the Annunciation of Mary concerning the birth or the conception of the Lord Jesus Christ and how it's described by the angel Gabriel and how the the hand of God is going to overshadow her and, and she's going to have this life that's going to be generated in her at conception. The whole context there is the conceiving of the Savior in the womb of Mary. And then you have uh, six months down the road, a little bit further, you have uh, Elizabeth, who is Mary's cousin, and she's an elderly woman, and she's with child, of course, how, with John the Baptist. How el- elderly? I mean, some scholars believe she was upwards of 75, <laughs> somewhere around there. There's hope for some people. Yeah. <laughs> I know if some you people just said, no! Call it hope. <laughs> um, but, but she has this this baby in her womb, yeah. and when Mary goes and visits her, that baby, as a sign of confirmation from the Holy Spirit of God, leaps. This is all written in the narrative of communication of these babies in the womb, communicating the will of God. Wow. So as a believer, I understand if you're not a believer that you, you, you don't have a biblical world, but if you, if you say you're a Christian, you cannot be biblical and not believe that life begins at conception. Amen to that. You know, scientifically speaking, um, I don't know if I've said this on the air or not. I think I have. But at at conception, that that nanosecond or whatever, at conception, there is a flash of light. Hmm. It's been documented. It's been shown. A flash of light. Hmm. Jesus said he's the light of the world. What is that? John 1, 1. Yeah. Um, well, and he's, I am the light of the world. The light that, that lights the hearts of all men, the Bible yeah. says. All right, so to that end, policymakers have enacted hundreds of life-affirming laws at the state level. So we were talking about this a minute ago before we came on the air. Uh, so we, you have Roe v. Wade saying basically uh, abortion whenever. But these states, including West Virginia, for several decades, I think, uh, have been have been been dismantling Roe v. Wade mm-hmm. door jam by door jam by these laws that we have uh, enacted. Uh, like we passed in West Virginia uh, last year, year before last. Every year we have an abortion law yep. since uh, since we've taken over, <laughs> since Republicans right. have, just to be frank. Um, and uh, I think the, 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 the strongest one we've had has been uh, pain capable, which means when the baby uh, – can feel pain, whatever mm-hmm. that is scientifically, at that second, at uh, that moment, um, or that week, I forget how many weeks it is, abortion is not allowed. So so the, the abortion, uh, the, the pro-life uh, folks 
have been going for decades back and back and back further and further and protecting the baby uh, in, in the red states. Yep. And uh, there's there's that's and, and frankly that's where this this battle at the Supreme Court is taking place because of a Missouri dis, uh, decision. And uh, uh, I mean, make sure I'm right on that. But uh, Missouri or Mississippi? Is it Mississippi? Yeah. Okay, one of the two. So. Um, our law should protect innocent human lives, the article says, including those not yet born in society should support mm. women who face challenging or unplanned pregnancies. And then uh, so the uh, Supreme – so 500, 500 laws nationwide in different states in the past decade alone. Mm. Yeah, you were explaining to me a little bit. You know, I was curious about – you know, how soon this gets wrapped up or when, you know, a final decision comes. And you kind of explained to me the process that they'll hear the arguments and probably maybe sometime in the summer actually rule on this. I think we need to be praying about it right now as Christians. I think this is the single most important issue still. I I know there's a lot of stuff that we talk about. There's a lot of issues that we get wrapped up in. But I think this is the foundational issue for all the other why issues. Why do you think that? that? Why, why is that? Well, because I think that life is the most sacred thing that God has created. And I think the Bible speaks to that. And, you know, I, I think that when you do not value life, you do not, uh, you know, support life, uh, it, it creates this this sense that life doesn't matter. And when life doesn't matter, what you do in life doesn't matter. And when, you, when, when what you do in life doesn't matter, then everybody just does that which is right in their own eyes because they have no purpose or calling or attachment to something greater than themselves. Mm. You know, uh, the Bible speaks about life a lot. And in John chapter number 10, the Bible says, the thief comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. But Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And so you see the two sides, the enemy and the Savior. You see the enemy wants to take life. He wants yeah. to destroy life. Mm-hmm. He wants to Kill. marginalize life because it destroys everything else that springs from life. So mm-hmm. it's it's still the most important issue that we face and need to pray about. I think that is uh, an excellent point. And I think, you could make, I think you could make the argument that had we not... Um, allowed abortion which mm-hmm. the supreme court did seven to two by the way it wasn't a close decision and in a- england by, by the way in england they voted on it mm-hmm. we didn't have the chance had it had americans voted on it in 1973 it would not have passed mm-hmm. but the supreme court um in their infinite wisdom said yeah we should be able to mm-hmm. kill babies mm-hmm. and um uh, so that's you know that's that's what happened well i want you to think about this we use the term consequential and when we use the term consequential we we, we say it because it's something that has meaning and the reason it has meaning is because you think of the consequence of what that is well when we passed roe v wade we made life non-consequential and, and, and in doing so we made sexuality non-consequential when, when you think about the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife, as it's intended, the Bible says it was to produce fruitfulness, which is mm. the fruit of the womb. It's right. life. Sexuality is, is sprung from life. And so when you destroy life and you destroy the meaning and you destroy the attachment, you destroy the consequential understanding of life, you've destroyed the consequential understanding of sex, gender, all the other things that we struggle with in our society precipitate from this destruction of life because everything becomes 
unconsequential at that point. And then we yeah. just do whatever we feel yeah. instead of what we know is purposeful. And and all of this, the, the curse causeless shall not come, Proverbs says. Mm. These things don't just pop out of nowhere, you know, just happen in the abstract. The Roe v. Wade decision was um, the consequence, to use your word, of decades of evolution being taught Absolutely. in America. And just a decade before, we took the Bible and the prayer out of school, and uh, we had the sexual revolution of the 60s saying, look, uh, we uh, we just want to topple morals on our head because we want to do what we want to do. Don't mm-hmm. tell me what I can do sexually and what I can't. And, and and we've learned that in America mm-hmm. um, you know if you if if you want to have a discussion on sex just don't bring morals in it because it is out of the realm the realm of a discussion of morality it's mm-hmm. out there by itself and shut up about it right so uh, I think we learned that during the Bill Clinton era and I think that that th- that's the mindset mm-hmm. of most Americans look sexuality the, it, it's an all moral thing there is no moral uh, there is no no moral consequence or uh, attitude that we can have about it, but God, uh, God does say plenty about right. sexuality and where it's wrong, where it's not, and mm-hmm. and inside of marriage it's okay, outside of marriage it's not. Right. And had we had we, uh, uh, it's like Bill Bennett said, uh, uh, abstinence works every time it's tried. <laughs> <laughs> and that is a great line, yeah. and and uh, uh, we've taught our children the opposite of that mm-hmm. for decades and uh, somebody said somebody said uh, the government started teaching sex education dec- decades ago and now kids don't even know what sex mm-hmm. they are well uh, an abortion is the escape of consequence i mean talk about being inconsequential abortion is this escape of consequence yeah. of of the calling of sexuality it, it's what it is you know we, we like the old testament uh, people sacrificing their babies to the god molech we, we, through abortion, sacrifice our babies to the God of convenience because we're trying to escape yes. the the consequence yeah, yeah. of our actions. It's a problem now. Yeah. A baby's a baby's been conceived, and it's getting in my way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so uh, we we become a, a secular society. It's about me, not about God. Yeah. Right. In the old days, there was a shame to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there's a stigma to uh, everyone wants to destroy stigma. Okay, we're destroying stigma, and nothing is uh, nothing shameful anymore. Right. But it used to be that uh, you know if a gal got pregnant outside of wedlock, they would have the baby, give it away, and, and get married. Mm-hmm. How about that? Look, people make mistakes, you yep. know, and uh, yep. uh, you you man up. And we're going to talk about manhood in another segment, by the way. It's a great little article on it. So let's finish up here. But So the the uh, Dobbs v. Jackson uh, decision is before the Supreme Court today. This is Wednesday, the uh, 1st of December. And uh, by the way, we're going to have uh, next week, tried to get her on the show today, but a, uh, a little gal down in the legislature who's in the House named Kayla Kessinger, who's been in the pro-life movement for for years, and she's uh, she and I got elected the same year, 2014, to the House, and she was only 23. Wow! And uh, from what I hear, she'll tell the story. But uh, the the day before uh the, the the last day that she could that she could uh, sign up to run for the house, uh, they pulled up in front of her house, 
talked her into it and ran her down to the courthouse to, to mm. sign up. And that may not be the exact story, but it was something like that. And she won in a district where it's very difficult for a, a Republican to win in. Uh, those have all changed, but back in 15 or 14 it was. And uh, so she's she's speaking today. She's a great little speaker, mm. great little speaker. And she's speaking um, as as we speak uh, in front of the Supreme Court wow. with everybody in, in D.C. And I tried to have her on today. She said, I can't. I'm speaking at the Supreme Court. So she's in D.C. right now and couldn't come on the air. But we're going to have her next week. Great. She's going to say, uh, tell us what happened to, uh, at the Supreme Court and, and the rally. And she can explain this whole this whole uh, Dobbs v. Jackson thing way better than I could. And uh, so it, it goes back to 2018 in uh, Mississippi. And they enacted the Gestational Age Act, and I'm not going to get into it because I won't do a good job explaining it. But Kayla Kessinger next week will, mm. and she'll be. But a we really need to good... be in prayer right now about yes. what's going on. Pray, right Lord, yes, help. Uh, so the decision um, probably won't be until June or the summertime, sometime. Uh, but but today's a big day. I mean, mm. it's the first time uh, since 1992. Okay, so Roe v. Wade, 73. In 1992, we had a shot at overturning it. Somebody got to Justice Kennedy hmm. and ruined it, uh, and it didn't, it didn't happen. That was a really, really strong chance. This is the first time since 1992 that it could potentially overturn Roe v. Wade. Hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm saying that because of everything I've read and people I trust are saying that Roe v. Wade could potentially be overturned uh, by this by this Dobbs v. Jackson decision before the Supreme Court today, and we'll we'll uh, so pray, yes, Lord, pray, and uh, we'll know the decision probably in the summer, as I understand it. All right, so we're out of time time for this segment. And I want you to stay tuned to the Voice of Truth radio show. I'm Mike Azinger. We'll be right back. Hi, welcome back to the Voice of Truth radio show. I'm Mike Azinger. we got Pastor Brian Leversey in the chair right Next to me, several feet away, we're going to talk about Thanksgiving for a few minutes. Great. Just a little bit of history on it because it's really fascinating. People don't know it, mm-hmm. and I frankly learned uh, quite a bit just just uh, studying it uh, for the show. We were going to do it last week, and uh, but uh, we're going to talk about it for a little bit in this segment. Before I do, I, I think there is a, a very important question about Thanksgiving that I think needs to be brought up, and I want to I want to throw it at you. Okay, yeah. so. Uh, here's the question: Why do pilgrims' pants fall down? <laughs> oh, is this dad joke? <laughs> Why do pilgrims' pants fall down? Wait, this is a very this, important I question. Because be um, they didn't buckle up. Because they wear their belts on their hats. That's <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> Why well, didn't tell them that? Hey, look, your yeah. pants are falling down because your belts are in the wrong place. I bet that would have changed a lot about history. <laughs> I posted that on my Facebook That's page. That's great. I thought it was really fun. <laughs> All right, so um, Thanksgiving, the celebration of Thanksgiving has um, roots. It even goes back. There were Thanksgivings, Pastor, even back to like uh, 1541 in Texas, 
1564 St. Augustine. There was a, uh, you know, one of the first settlements was in St. Augustine, Florida, El Paso, Texas. Uh, 1607, Cape Henry, Jamestown. Hmm. And then uh, 1619 at Berkeley Plantation, which for some reason CBN is just making a big deal about. But the Pilgrims set sail for America on September 6, 1620. And uh, so they had their prayer service upon disembarking at Plymouth Rock. This is a David Barton Wall Builders article. And we know that they had a terrible winter. Half of them died. Can you imagine that? You know, 50-some died. They had a little over 100. So emerging from that grueling language, I see, uh, uh, explaining to them the, uh, this is, I'm looking at the the wrong line from, uh, let's see here, Sam Asset, who was the Indian. Right. He's the guy that saved the day. So he uh, approached these the, the pilgrims, greeted them in their own language that um, a friend named Squanto, mm-hmm. who lived with the pilgrims and accepted their Christian faith. So Squanto taught the pilgrims much about how to live in the new world, and he and Samoset helped forge a long-lasting peace treaty. This peace treaty between the Indians and the pilgrims lasted 50 years. That's a, that's a long time, yeah. especially back then. But they had a peace treaty with the Indians. We didn't slaughter the Indians. Right. We had a peace treaty with them, and we won many of them, Pastor, to the Lord. That's mm-hmm. why they came. If you look if you uh, look at the Mayflower Compact, it says in the Mayflower Compact that these pilgrims wrote on the ship before they disembarked. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was basically a body politic. They were they were given a a government government structure based on scripture before they disembarked and they said the reasons they came was for the glory of god first of all the glory of god and secondly for the advancement of the christian faith that's why they came they wanted to win indians to jesus christ was one of the reasons and the problem is they get thrown in with the imperialism that was going on back then you're the conquer and conquest portion of that which was going to happen anyway that's what the world does the world conquers each other but this was a whole different purpose this was a whole different segment of this yes this uh you know coming over from the old world to the new world this was done strictly for those purposes. The red thread of the gospel yeah. running through scripture, uh, running and, and through you history. Can tell it was because right there, Samoset and Squanto. Yes, one of was it Squanto? He'd already been over to England or whatever, and had already become acquainted with the faith. And, and so that's who God sends to these pilgrims to help them out. Pro, uh, Pilgrim Governor William Bradford describes Squanto as a quote. A uh, special instrument sent of God mm. for our good, and never left us till He died. Yeah. End quote. How about that? there's so there's the governor. So, uh, Governor William Bradford, uh, fascinating, fascinating the, these pilgrims. So, so let me just a little history of Thanksgiving, how it came about and became an official holiday, which of course it always wasn't. It wasn't always. The first federal Thanksgiving proclamation was issued by who? Do you know who? Was it Lincoln? Washington. Washington. In 1789. So he said, this is Washington's word, it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God. Uh Uh-oh. Wait, Washington wasn't a Christian. How did this get? Somebody's going to hang for putting. Washington talked about God often. It is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God to obey his will. 
to be grateful for his benefits and humbly to implore his protection and favor. That's the Thanksgiving proclamation of George Washington, mm-hmm. 1789, yeah. shortly after. All right, so uh, then uh, beginning in 1840, this is a fascinating little story here. A gal named Sarah Hale, a mother of five children and an editor at a, a, a little thing called Goaty's Ladies Book, which I looked up. You can still get it hmm. on Amazon. Look, kind of like McGuffey's Readers okay. where you sent me on that uh, um Excursion to find one, which I did find. <laughs> it's pretty cool. The local antiques. Or, so this gal, Sarah Hale, persistently campaigned for an established national Thanksgiving. This lady was, you know how gals, when they are on things, mm. you know, my wife, when she gets on a mission, she is relentless, unstoppable. <laughs> so this is Sarah Hale. Uh, so she wanted to establish a national Thanksgiving. Hmm. So she... Um, Let's see. So she, so she writes, here's an article, an editorial in 1852. The American people have two peculiar festivals, each connected with their history and therefore of great importance in giving power and distinction to the national, to their national nationality. The 4th of July is one. Um, and then Thanksgiving Day is the national pledge of Christian faith in God, acknowledging him as the dispenser of blessing, blessings. Mm-hmm. These two festivals should be joyfully and universally observed throughout our whole country and thus incorporated in our habits of uh, of thought as inseparable from the American life. So she faithfully contacted various presidents with that request. Then finally in 1863, which would be the president you just mm-hmm. mentioned, Lincoln. Lord, it's, it's hard not to love Lincoln in yeah. a lot of ways. Uh, so he issued a national Thanksgiving program proclamation he was a phenomenal writer as we know and so in response to her letter she he said subsequent um okay so um this isn't a quote for this is uh subsequent presidents followed lincoln's example in setting aside a thanksgiving but it was not until uh 1941 so lincoln responds to this lady has a uh, national Thanksgiving, but it wasn't until 1941 that Congress passed a law establishing Thanksgiving as an official national holiday, and it was signed by FDR, Roosevelt. Um, so then it, it became official. So you had Washington's Proclamation 1789, uh, Lincoln's uh, making it an official holiday, or a holiday in uh, 18. 63 to establish a national, and then Congress made it official that we take that day off, just like Christmas is an official holiday. And um, uh, that was in 1941. So here we are in America with an official holiday of Thanksgiving where we take that time uh, to give thanks to God for his bountiful blessings. And I think. Uh, I think I think families that don't even normally pray probably say at least yeah. a little prayer before Thanksgiving because we know intuitively it's in our DNA that uh, God made us a special country. Not that yeah. we're better than other people around the world, but God blesses obedience, blesses the nation whose God is the Lord, and God has uh, been the Lord of America for many, many years, and even though we've turned away from him in recent decades, he has blessed our country in a special, singular way. Yes, he has. And, you know, it's really interesting that this really, its intention, when it was formulated, was to honor God. It wasn't this... uh, 
impersonal Thanksgiving of just, oh, I am thankful for things. It was being thankful to the one who provided those things. And so I love the focus of that. And and uh, everyone's thankful. I'm th- well, I'm so thankful. Nobody nowadays says, well, I'm thankful to God. Right. We're just thankful in the abstract. That thankful right. just goes up in the air, and who, who? Yeah. Because people don't want to say thankful to God. I'm just thankful. I'm so thankful. I'm so. I'm so. What a blessing! Uh, blessings come from somewhere. They come mm-hmm. from God. Uh, uh, but the secularists, they have dethroned God, and they have placed an impersonal force. You know, whether you want to call it nature, earth, or whatever, they they like to worship the impersonal. You know, Romans one speaks about this when you take God and you bring him down as a four-footed beast or as a graven image or something, and you're no longer thankful, and you become vain in your imagination, then your foolish heart becomes darkened. And then that's where you get all of the precipitous downward motion of a culture is from a lack of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is so crucially important to keeping our focus where it needs to be and, mm. and keeping highlighted the presence of God in our lives. Mm. Yeah, that's great. All right, so thanksgiving is... Gone for another year. We'll look forward to it, Lord willing. We'll have another one uh, next year. And uh, uh, I have a, just right in front of me here, I forgot about this one, but uh, a proclamation for a day of Thanksgiving by uh, John Hancock, hmm. who we know was the had the big signature on the Declaration of Independence, as in, come on, King George, come get me. But uh, when he was governor and commander-in-chief of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, he, he uh, wrote an official proclamation for Thanksgiving, and um, you can find that online, but many, many of them. So um, I, let's do one more story in this segment here. New Harvard study, homeschoolers turned out happy, well-adjusted, and engaged. So... My sister homeschooled all six of hers. They all turned out pretty good. They're a little weird sometimes, <laughs> but they're my nieces and nephews. I'm allowed to say that. You homeschool your youngins. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so there's some research from Harvard University where um, my alma mater, uh, I was first in my class at Harvard. It was a great, great accomplishment <laughs> that I – I was at that uh, – I was at that uh, – conference with bill james who's the professor at cal state and he was actually a first in his class at harvard guy so we're sitting at the table every time i'd introduce him bill james professor at cal state first in his class in harvard that's the only thing we have in common so <laughs> he and i both were proudly walked across the stage it's amazing the room could contain both of you at the same time <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how people laugh knowing they look at me and they know i know i was not first <laughs> Researchers at Harvard University just released findings from their new study showing positive outcomes for homeschooled students. There's hope for you geeks out there, you homeschool geeks. That's the thing. Everyone thinks the homeschoolers, they have this uh, stereotype. Um, but this this study kind of blasts that stereotype. Writing in the Wall Street Journal last week, Brendan Case and Ying Chen. Would that be a, is that Mexican or is that? Sounds Chinese. <laughs> that was a joke. Uh, Ying Chen. Trying to help you. <laughs> and Brandon Case, Harvard Human Flourishing of the Harvard Human Flourishing Program, concluded that public school students, quote, were less forgiving and less apt to volunteer or attend religious services than their homeschooled peers, end quote. 
the scholar analyzed data of over 12,000 children. Did your kids get a call on this one? I don't think so. No? Okay, you're not. The scholar, uh, they, they uh, analyzed data of over 12,000 children of nurses who participated in surveys between 1999 and 2010 and found that homeschool children were about one-third more likely to engage in volunteerism, have higher levels of forgiveness in early adulthood, than those who attended public schools. Homeschooled children were also more likely to attend religious services in adulthood than children educated in public schools, which the researchers noted is correlated with, quote, lower risk of alcohol and drug abuse, depression, and suicide. Hmm. Now, you were talking in church um, over the weekend about, I think it was over the weekend, how your wife, mm-hmm. as part of the curriculum, teaches your kids for, what, an hour and a half yeah. on Scripture. Yeah. So maybe you could just take a minute and, and uh, can you just share yeah. with a little bit of what, it's actually what the that, beginning of their, works? It's actually the beginning of their day. They start off their morning right there in the, in the living room together, and uh, they have a little breakfast, and she goes through systematically through a book of Scripture, verse by verse, and then she has a segment of it after they learn what the scripture means, how they apply it to their lives practically every day. So she runs them through scenarios. She runs them through, you're going to the grocery store, you're going to this event, you're, you're, you're positioned with this particular circumstance. How do we take this truth that we just learned in these five or six verses, and how do we respond biblically? Wow. And so we're, we're wanting to teach our children that the Bible isn't some book on a shelf, that you know you moralize into your life, but it's actually practically able to be obeyed and applied and lived out is the word of life. And um, we feel that that is an important part of people's education, is that they know how to act and respond in the spirit of God. And that's what the Bible teaches us how to do. Yes, and of course it is, it's fundamental, uh, essential to an education. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you'll just be... Uh, you know, a sec- you can be a genius, but being a secular genius is of no good. Yeah. And well, somebody put it this way. They said, hey, if you don't have the truth of Scripture behind the teaching of, you know, your subjects, basically uh, you're turning out smart criminals. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's kind of the way and, 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 that, and that's right. There's been plenty of, of great intellectuals who have done – uh, untold damage to yeah. culture and to history, and yeah. Marx would be one, mm-hmm. and Rousseau, Rousseau would be. I'm reading about Rousseau right now, and he gave us the, he gave us the French Revolution for mm-hmm. one, uh, that age of terror where the guillotine came uh, mm-hmm. came into uh, into history, and uh, uh, the Napoleon Bonaparte after that, and and uh, he influenced Marx and and untold others mm-hmm. who he was a very intelligent man mm-hmm. but he he in in the author uh, juxtaposes him to John Locke who influenced our founders who loved the lord who loved scripture who loved truth and those two different lines of history Rousseau in the age of terror and John Locke who who influenced our founding fathers mm-hmm. and Gave us the Constitution, the Declaration. Look, phrases of Locke are used by Jefferson, mm-hmm. <laughs> almost plagiarized in the Declaration mm-hmm. of Independence. Yeah. I, I mean, Jefferson's a beautiful writer, and he could put it in a more flowery language. I mean, he was, but the good. principles there, the principles there, and the truth is there, and it comes from John Locke, who was a genius, but who loved God. Yeah. So. 
that that's so important and so wonderful what your you and your wife do with your mm-hmm. kids and other homeschoolers and and uh, we don't homeschool we have we have our kids in Christian school but uh, you know we have conversations uh, often mm-hmm. in our house about truth so important the source of truth yep. how not to be uh, how not to be uh, um, lied to and and, and to be uh, uh, fooled. And all of that. So the new findings offer a stark contrast to the portrayal of homeschoolers by Harvard Law School professor Elizabeth Bartholet, who notoriously called for a presumptive ban on homeschooling last year. So this lady, Elizabeth Bartlett, she's from Harvard. There's a lot of uh, very liberal uh, ungodly people there. So just before the U.S., uh, so she she wanted to do this just before the U.S. homeschool population ballooned right. <laughs> because of COVID. Yeah. Five times in the black community, five mm-hmm. times the number of homeschoolers, two or three times the number of homeschoolers in the general population. Um, so it's it's come it's ballooned to more than eleven percent of the overall school age population, or more than five million students. So. Mm. It's growing, and uh, you know, look, look. Parents found out, hey, our, your kids are being taught uh, critical race theory, mm-hmm. Marxism, uh, sex education, anarchy, mm-hmm. and who did did these teachers that are teaching these things? Come to the parents and say, hey, look, do you mind if we teach your kids Marxism? Mm-hmm. Do we? Do you mind if we teach your kids uh, sexual perversion and so on? They didn't do that. They didn't, and they didn't feel they had to. And we learned that from the race down in Virginia where the the Democratic uh, liberal uh, that was running for that decided he would really give their game plan. And the way it's been since, you know, a long time is, parents, you don't have any say in what we formulate for your kids at school. You, you, you have no word. You have no... <laughs> No uh, influence at all in that. And he, he was brazen enough to say it. <laughs> and and uh, I think that... Parents said no. <laughs> I think that had uh, had he said that five years ago, he'd have gotten away with it. Yeah. I think, though, that since COVID, all of these parents are coming awake and coming to these boards of education meetings and going off like they should mm-hmm. uh, because it's their kids. And God has made parents sovereign over our children, not a board of education, right. um, not uh, not school teachers. I know they, they're in charge, you know, they're, they're the authority during class and so on, and children should not speak disrespectfully to, to an elder. But um, uh, that's still my child. That's still your child forever. All the time, everywhere, universally, mm-hmm. our children do not belong to anyone else except for us, uh, as, as uh, and of course the Lord. That's right. But um, we are um, we are by God given authority over our, our children. Mm-hmm. It's a, wonder, a wonderful thing, and um, so that is that on that uh, homeschooling article. Great little article. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about. Oh, a Nice Retail List. You'll like this. <laughs> a Nice Retail List. And then I think we'll do, Pastor, Make Men Masculine again, mm. a Prager University article. And uh, we'll be back after this. You're listening to the Voice of Truth radio show with Mike Gazinger, Brian Leversey with me. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to the Voice of Truth Radio Show. 
Mike Azinger, Brian Leversey. We are excited to be here. We're going to talk about uh, the naughty and nice retail list. We have been driving around um, Wood County and the <laughs> adjacent counties, contiguous counties, whichever, and um, finding out which retailers are naughty and which are nice. It's taken us a long time. <laughs> Um, a real long time. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, actually, the, the truth is Liberty Council did it for us. So uh, when I had my radio show in Indiana 10 years ago or whatever, I used to, I used to use these and right. talk about this on the air. It was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, it gives you an idea of who's being friendly to Chris. Look, let's be honest. If you're watching TV, you never, ever uh, hear the word Christmas anymore. Mm-hmm. So this isn't TV stuff. This isn't. These um, these companies that are having a nativity scene in their commercial and talking about Jesus Christ right. <laughs> coming to Earth right. as a baby on Christmas, but the the bar is, has been brought down so low that uh, that we take what we can get. So here's the companies that recognize and celebrate Christmas according to Liberty Council. On their website. That's the bar. Okay. okay. The website. Right. Don't get excited Somewhere like in the fine print down on They're going to read Luke chapter 2 in their <laughs> commercial. That is not the bar. All right. American Eagle Outfitters. They're, okay. We'll do the nice list first. Okay. American Eagle Outfitters uh, did a good job. Bath and Body Works um, did a good job. They're on the nice list also. Beals Department Store. So these are these are companies that have Merry Christmas or something like that on their website. Belk, Belk's website <laughs> used the word Christmas, and they have several nativity scene decorations. How about that on their website? <laughs> and they use Merry Christmas. That's the standard. If there you, you use Merry if Christmas you Merry on your Christmas. website, uh, you make the nice well, list. I notice we've been hunting around on our. Um, you know, we don't have live TV. We just have all the different, like, streaming things. And we've been hunting around trying to type in Christmas movies or, you know, all the stuff yeah. that you try to queue up for the the Christmas time. And a lot of them have done away with, you know, the category of Christmas. They just put holiday. Yeah. You know, you can't yeah. find Christmas stuff. Yeah. So. Because the name Christ is in. Yeah. Of course, they can't get away from it. Holiday has holy day. There you go. Yeah. They yeah. can't. Uh, they can try, but they, they can run, but they can't hide. Best Buy. How about that? Bronner's Christmas Wonder- Wonderland. Never heard of Bronner's to me either. But uh, they they are very good. They put Christ in capitals on um, in their title of their hmm. name. Bronner's Christmas Wonderland. Good for them. They're on the nice list. Christmasplace.com. Uh, they still use the word holiday, but predominantly they use Merry Christmas. Dillard's is on the nice list. Hallmark is on the nice list. Hobby Lobby. Oh, yeah. Hobby Lobby, of course, a Christian organization. Uh, so they they put, uh, let's see, just reading a little bit here, staying true to the Christmas values. Hobby Lobby celebrates Christmas in the best way. Their homepage prominently advertises Christmas products, and they carry many products printed with, quote-unquote, Merry Christmas. They have a large selection of nativity scenes. Which is cool. We do a nativity scene at our house. Yep. We need a new one because it's getting old and cranky. <laughs> but uh, um, we do a, a little nativity scene mm-hmm. in the front yard with a basic little – and you send a message. Yeah. You can say, look, this is what Christmas is about. And uh, the, you've seen those little 
joy ones with right. a baby in the O. Right. Just do something like that. Yeah. Ours, uh, my brother got ours for the Christmas, but uh, we need a new one. So uh, if you need a nativity scene, Hobby Lobby has them. Some of these other companies do too. All right, who's next on the nice list? Home Depot. Hmm. Home Depot. J.C. Penny is on the nice list. They have uh, calendars, nativity scenes that you can buy. Kirkland's, never heard of them. Kmart, if you can find one. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, where are you? Where are you? Kmart, Kmart, Kmart. Kmart's holiday decorations section under their seasonal tab is labeled as Christmas. Hmm. See the standard in your eye, like I said. Sears, Staples, Walmart. Hmm. Uh, is on on the list. They they use both, but they're on. Okay, so naughty list. Okay, there's a lot on the. Yeah, on the I was surprised. I was surprised, but when you set the bar, bar like <laughs> you, <do. laughs> you know, I think there should be a secret shopper that goes to see if they actually say Merry Christmas to you or not. Yeah, and you're checking out. Like I purposefully around the season, yeah. I say, "Well, Merry Christmas," you know, yeah. or whatever to them, just to see you know. You know what I do? I um. I, when I'm checking out, I'll real, uh, read Luke chapter 2 to the <laughs> cashier. I don't mean to brag. The whole thing. The whole thing. All, all of Luke you quote two. it. You didn't really read it. Yeah, I didn't want to bring that up. <laughs> Naughty List, Academy Sports and Outdoors. Never heard of them. Barnes and Nobles. Hmm. Naughty List. Burlington Coat Factor. Factor. Re. <laughs> Dick's Sporting Goods. Naughty List. Gap. You bad little people, Gap. J. Crew. Naughty List. The Limited. I think I think that's a Jewish company. I think the guy that owns the limited is very hmm. successful, but wouldn't have Christmas on his stuff. The loft, uh, they use holiday, so that's the naughty list. Let's see, you got one more page here. Who else made? My fingers are too dry to even. I can't even turn the page. Here. <laughs> Your thumbs are on the naughty. I list. really can't turn this. <laughs> here we go. Right. Lord and Taylor. Naughty list. Rite Aid, naughty. Target, naughty. Yeah. TJ Maxx, naughty list, and Walgreens. So that is obviously not a really uh, uh, comprehensive list. It's not huge, and there's obviously a lot of others, but that's the ones they know about. Hmm. So we'll check in and out of that before Christmas, and I think it changes. I think they hmm. add. Sometimes they switch some over. You know, some companies see the light, hear our broadcast, <laughs> and say, "Hey, we better shape up." All right, how much time we got there? We got we got a little bit of time to do uh, make men masculine again. Hmm. This is an article from Prayer You. All right, make men masculine. So. Um, Rape, murder, war, they all have one thing in common, men. Hmm. Aggression, violence, ambition, unchecked by conscience, all the stuff of toxic masculinity, right? And the solution is obvious. Make men less toxic. Make men less masculine. Make men more like women. But I'm here to tell you, the author says, who is female, uh, Ali Stuckey, or Stuckey, Make men, uh, but I'm here to tell you that this way of thinking is, is not only wrong, it's dangerous. Here's why. When you try to make men more like women, you don't get less less toxic masculinity. You get more. Why? Because bad men don't become good when they stop being men. They become good when they stop being bad. Hmm. Aggression, violence, and unbridled ambition can't be eliminated from the male psyche. They can, they can only be harnessed. And... 
when they are harnessed, they are tools for good, not for harm. There yeah. you go, right? Yeah. I mean, we, we need masculine men. We need mm-hmm. dangerous men, mm-hmm. dangerous for good. Um, so it's a young man opening the door, the door for a girl on the first date. It's a father working long hours to provide for his family. It's a soldier risking his life to defend his country. The growing problem in today's society isn't that men are too masculine. It's that they're not masculine enough. Hmm. When men embrace their masculinity in a way that is healthy and productive, they are leaders. They are warriors and heroes. When they deny their masculinity, they run away from responsibilities, leaving destruction and despair in their wake. So this article goes on, and it's longer than this, and you can find it uh, um, on uh, – and it's innate, you know, preacher, yeah. right? We're made, we're made masculine. Uh, just society c- can, can bend that and uh, uh, shame boys into thinking that their masculinity is, is uh, wrong. Hmm. But um, – I don't know if you heard the story about the little boy. I don't know. He's five or six. His little sister, a year or two younger, was getting attacked by a dog. Yeah, I remember that. He jumped in and saved his little girl from that dog. According to the article, she would have been killed. He had stitches all over him. His face just beat up. And he said, uh, it was either me or my sister. My sister, and I knew it should have been me. He knew it instinctively. It It was innate. God put it there. It's it's amazing. you know, I, I think the world tries to to always do things backwards because they don't they don't come from the point of a creator that things are done on purpose for a reason. So they think they have to deconstruct everything. They have to deconstruct history. They have to deconstruct uh, gender. They've got to deconstruct all these things and then make it in their own image. And you can't do that. You weren't the creator. You don't have the plan. Yeah. You don't have the purpose. Yeah. And it's destroying everything that's around us. Yeah. Yeah. When when man comes to conclusions on um, whatever on his own without God. It's going to be the opposite of what, what mm-hmm. God, you know, his thoughts aren't our thoughts. Yeah. The the unregenerate mind cannot come up with with mm-hmm. with what God has has put mm-hmm. into, uh, embedded in the universe in terms of how we are and uh, how we're created and so on. We just need to to uh, see what God says about it and just mm-hmm. obey him and, and so on. So we're going to be right back. We have our etiquette segment coming up. And we will not disappoint, folks. Stay tuned. This is the Voice of Truth Radio Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Voice of Truth Radio Show. I'm your host, State Senator Mike Azinger. Brian Leversee, pastor of Fellowship Baptist Church, in the studio with me. It's our last segment, which means... Drum roll. Hey, that was pretty good. (laughs) Etiquette. Etiquette segment, which means a lot of folks have turned it off, turned us off because they don't want to hear it. Yeah. They do not want to be told. (laughs) All right, so here we go. This is from Best Life Online. This is an article that actually comes from a book written back in the late nineteenth century. Wow. So this should be some good stuff. We're on number 26. These are the classics. Yeah, so <laughs> hopefully. So we're going to go, we're going to finish it up today and find another uh, another source next week of etiquette. But um, here we go, number 26. Do not touch or handle any of the ornaments in the house where you visit. Wow, that's very applicable right now. <laughs> how, about that? how about that for timing? God's in it. They are intended to be admired, not handled by visitors. 
That's hard to do. I mean, you know, you want to touch it, right? We, we put up this little Christmas village. We just got done putting it up, you know, right after Thanksgiving. And it's on a little tiered tree kind of platform. Yeah. And I I feel bad for little Eden. Uh, we tell her, don't, you can't touch me, you can't touch me. And she cannot help herself. I mean, you get all these little people and these little houses. Oh, and yeah. she's over there wanting to, you know, play. Yeah. Don't let me in your house. Yes. I'll be right by Eden. <laughs> hey, look at this one. Oh, that one's kind of a dumb one. 28, a gentleman may repeat his suit after having been once repulsed to a lady, but if she refuses a second repu- proposal, the suit should be dropped. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think know if I would have gotten <laughs> You would I don't still know be single. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we'll I leave. I think there's something too persistent a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think that... You have to be able to interpret some cues and, and you know, know when, you, when you've got a chance or not. Yeah. But, man, I think if, if you know the Lord's put it in your heart, you got to go for it a little bit. Yeah. You, you know. just go for it until the Lord puts it in her heart. Yeah, too, that's right. Because right. <laughs> that helps. That helps. Please, God. <laughs> yes. Number 29, never lend a borrowed book. So if you borrow a book, I've, there's books I've never seen again. I, I go through my – there's a couple – every once in a while I think of a book. Oh. Yeah, and I'll go, and I got a big library, so and it's not organized, so it takes forever to find a book. Yeah, um, but but there's a couple books I've read in the past that have been just uh, just phenomenal, and so I want to go back and and reference them. I'm thinking of one right now. Uh, can't find it. Don't know where it is, and I'm sure I've moved a number of times, and moving a, a library is a, a yeah, pain. It's horrible, but. Uh, um, I can't find it. So I'm thinking maybe I borrowed it. I lent it out, and they lent it out, and they lent it out. So never lend a borrowed book, but return such a book the day you are done with it. I think that's a good, a good point. I think that probably never so happens. So are you, are you a have to have a hard copy of a book in your hand kind of guy, or do I'll, you do the digital stuff at all? I'd never have bought a digi- digital book. Well, it makes book. the library a lot easier to move with. <laughs> yes, but it's not a library. It's a piece of... <laughs> Like, it is a library. It even says library on the little tab on your tablet. Yeah, it's, an, it's it's it it should. I am of the I am of the school that if you buy um, e-books, you should be put in jail. <laughs> is that a is that, that's, that's that's a harsh position? That's, is that too hard? Okay, but no, I never bought an e-book. I, I I'm I'm a book guy. Yep, I, I love hang. Uh, holding a book, I love the feel out of it. Like I told you, I, I carry them around. Which is strange, but but even you know I got a book on John Locke right before me, and I knew, didn't think I'd use it on the show. I thought ninety nine percent chance I won't, but there's that one percent. Yeah, you may need it. <laughs> so you I carry it around it. like a like a teddy bear, and I have I have a whole big library in the basement that uh, uh, that I uh, visit from yeah. time to time, and when I go down. I, it's a while before I come back up. <laughs> Number 30, never gl- neglect to perform a commission undertaken for a friend. If you tell them they're going to mm-hmm. do something, do it. Number 31, always ex- accept the, uh, with expressions of gratitude any present offered you in the spirit of kindness. Uh, number 32, you owe it to yourself and to those with whom you mingle to be as well-informed as possible. Mm-hmm. Read books. There you go. Number 33, do unto others as you would have others do hey, unto you. That's a good, good way, way to wrap it up. Amen. There you yeah. go. We're out of time. Thanks for tuning in to the Voice of Truth radio show, folks. God bless you. We'll see you next week. <laughs>